Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Cancer Fight Podcast, recorded in Louisville, Kentucky, and produced by the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Cancer Fight aims to highlight the stories of fighters and survivors of all forms of cancer, as well as educate the public about prevention and awareness. I'm your host, Dr. Whitney Jones, a gastroenterologist and founder of the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Welcome to Cancer Fight. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Peterson, the communications director for the Colon Cancer Coalition based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's been with the coalition for over nine years and has been a real force on the national level with her organization in getting the word out about colon cancer and early age onset colon cancer as well. Aaron Peterson, welcome to Cancer Fight. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, we see each other many times in person, and uh, I know this is the first time we've been in this format, but we certainly have a lot of work we're working on commonly. So tell me a little bit about who Aaron Peterson is, starting off, and then, you know, we'll talk about how you got into the cancer business in in a few minutes. Sure. So um, I guess I've always had a heart for people. It's kind of really what's driven me my entire life. I uh, was fortunate out of college to get a job with a local marketing agency who did a lot of nonprofit work and um, a lot of good in the community and um, some for-profit stuff too. And then uh, I had at one point, um, one of my clients was a restaurant here in Minneapolis whose chef was diagnosed with colon cancer. And um, through that and through his fight and battle and uh, knowing him and learning about him, and what he was going through kind of really got introduced to the colorectal cancer cause. Young onset specifically, he was in his early 40s. And um, once he passed away, I had the opportunity and the introduction to the coalition. And um, that's kind of my introduction, both as who I am and my introduction to the colorectal cancer space as well. Did you have anyone in your family or your friends prior to this who'd had cancer or had a battle with cancer? I have been incredibly fortunate. Um, My grandmother passed away in her 80s to heart disease. My grandfather passed away in his 90s um, after a very brief battle with kidney cancer, Um, but that was after I was already working here. My family has been very blessed and very healthy. Um, Friends as well. I've had very um, very little loss in my life, which um, is very fortunate. But I've always had a heart for people, and I've known people that have had struggles with that. My husband actually lost his mother when he was very young before I knew him um, to a brain tumor. So I've known people all my life with struggles and with that loss. Um, And I'm lucky now to be in a position where I can do something about it. So how did your communications degree prepare you? Uh, Because, again, you said that's a lot of commercial things and buy this soda have a hamburger. Yep. How did you translate that into this very raw cancer space? So when I started with the coalition, um, we the organization was five or six years old. We were still very young, and we were known mostly by our Get Your Rear and Gear events. So I came um, to the coalition with an event focus 
to spread the word about our events so we could raise additional dollars. Um, and so my focus really was an event promotion role, increasing that uh, participation uh, and growing that, growing that brand and that opportunity. As we continue to grow and um, expand, I've been very fortunate to be able to help us grow into the coalition that who we are today. The, my background in terms of reaching people where they are, um, trying to get the word out about specific products or events or other marketing opportunities gave, gave me a unique perspective. I didn't come at the colorectal cancer um, awareness initiative as a public health. I came at it as a consumer problem. Like how do we raise awareness? How do we tell people about colorectal cancer screening? How do we talk to people as a consumer rather than as a healthcare patient? And um, sometimes those things are done the same way and sometimes they're done very differently. Um, so I think my background in that unique perspective from selling turkey sandwiches and um, you know restaurant reservations and um, event tickets kind of gave me a unique perspective to come at this challenge. Yes, I think you have some of the best uh, messaging taglines in your print material in particular of any organization that I've come across. And I would encourage everyone to check out your websites and your pieces. Uh, I think it's been really amazing. So were, were you born for this? Did you fall into this? Did you you know, do you feel like you finally found your calling or is this something you've worked your way into? I feel like I fell into it, but I fell into it for a reason. Um, like I said, getting to know the organization through a client, through an event, um, getting to know uh, Kristen Lindquist, who founded it through that event and her telling me, you know, hey, we might have something. I said, well, always keep me in mind. I'm always interested in like at least seeing what might be out there and then her calling me two weeks later to say, hey, here's a job description I was telling you about, kind of felt like the right thing. Um, I wasn't looking to make a change. I wasn't looking to do something new. I felt very comfortable and like I could do good work in the agency place where I was, but this felt like a really good opportunity to really make a difference and dedicate myself to, to, um, to a cause and do something that would impact a lot of people. I saw how um, my restaurant friend had really battled, how Todd had, you know, fought and come back and um, hit through his struggle with his very short battle with um, colorectal cancer and how that really impacted his family and his coworkers and those around him. And I thought if there is a chance for me to make a difference in a specific area in a, in a impactful way, this is a really good opportunity to be here. And so you believe and 10 years later, of, here I am. <laughs> and, and so you believe there's a lot of similarities between selling hamburgers and selling messages about screening and prevention and the other space, which, which I concur with, by the way. I think that oftentimes we don't look at them in the same view from a marketing and communication standpoint, but I'd like to get your opinion on how similar they are and where they maybe diverge. It's very easy to talk about hamburgers or turkey sandwiches, right? It's something everyone needs. It's something everyone wants to talk about. It's something that literally feeds them. It fits uh, a basic need. Um, 
So talking about those things is very easy where it diverges when we talk about colorectal cancer and screening in particular is nobody wants to talk about what's going on down there. They don't want to talk about blood in their stool. They don't want to even talk about a preventative screening. They don't want to talk about going to the doctor. Um, so the challenge is how do we make the cancer screening as accessible as a hamburger? Um, and that's with common language and it's with um, kind of in-your-face messaging and making it normal. One of the coalition's taglines, and this has been since before my time, I can't even claim this one, so I'm making colorectal and colonoscopy part of the everyday language we can prevent this disease. And that is something that when I started with the coalition, kind of really resonated with me and resonated with my marketing and communications brain. Like, how do we make these words normal? How do we um, use them in a way that make people comfortable to talk about them? So, um, and that is something that I try to do every day. We look at what we're working on. Um, is it something that will make people stand up and listen? Think about what's going on in their bodies. Is it something that will reach them where they are? How do we find people that, um, are outside of the public health echo chamber. You and I have talked about that a lot about um, breaking out of our, of our space and reaching people outside of the healthcare space. Um, we do that a lot with social media. I think our events do a really good job with that in terms of people form teams around a person or a survivor or someone that they've lost and then they invite their friends and their family and their family and friends invite their friends and their family and create these enormous groups of people that are there to support somebody, but they don't really know why they're there. You go to an event because, you know, your best friend, grandma passed away, but you want to go there to support her, but you don't really know what it's for. So hopefully when they're at a Get Your Ear and Gear event, or any event really that's in this space, they hear the messaging about blood in your stool is not normal, or they hear the importance of screening and that cancer can be prevented. Um, or treated when it's caught early. So they hear those messages and while it might not seem to apply to someone who's there with their friend in honor of their grandma when they're in, you know, in their early 20s, um, it might resonate and those messages just keep piling onto, each, onto them as we reach them in other ways as well. Or like you and I talk about, we need to reach people before that screening age. Like I love your line about 45 is the finish line, not the start line. So um, the more we can reach them before those times, and that's something that we really try to do, both through our events and then our social media presence, um, the awareness campaigns and things we do as well. So you spoke about family members and folks who are in it. How's your family uh, dealt with your advocacy space, right? You're out there <laughs> talking about a tough disease and you're reaching out with sometimes uh, great stories, many times tragic stories mm -hmm. about to you know delays tell me about your family support and how that helps you in your organization <laughs> my kids so they're both teenagers 13 and 15 know way more about bodily functions <laughs> than they probably really want to um we had very interesting conversations when they were young and i just started this job about poop which was always very fun to talk about poop with a five-year-old boy we thought it's really funny um, so in that way, I feel lucky that I can at least educate them and that 
you know, they'll have some things to talk to their friends about too. Um, my husband is very supportive. My parents are very supportive. Uh, you talk about, you know, family, but then also my friends um, talking about what I do. And it's amazing as we talk to people like, oh, my, you know, my, I lost my sister when she was, you know, in her early 50s to colon cancer. Someone I didn't even know who had had a sister because I hadn't known her. Um, so talking about that and, or, yeah, I was having symptoms and I went and got screened and I just, you know, had a couple of polyps and now I'm good. But because they were talking to me and knew what I did, uh, it resonated with them too. So I'm happy that I can help people that I know that maybe would ignore it more. Um, I get a lot of calls about prepping for a colonoscopy, like how, what are the best ways to do that and um, tips and tricks. So I spend some time with that. I am fortunate. I am not of screening age yet and have had no symptoms and no risk factors. So I haven't had my colonoscopy yet, but it's just a couple of years away. And, uh, but I know working in the space and hearing all the best practices that I get to have some really interesting conversations about colonoscopy prep as well. <laughs> well, I'll give you my two tips. Number one, don't eat fruits or vegetables for three to five days beforehand. And then secondly, beer, wine, and spirits are clear liquids. Just don't have so many ah. that you forget what's going to happen later. <laughs> red wine? Is red wine okay? Probably, or do you got to go white? I, I would try to move over to a nice uh, uh, Chardonnay or Chablis just for that night because you don't want to have anything red in there, but uh, right. it is a clear <laughs> liquid. So I'm not, not, I'm neither encouraging nor I'm just informing, uh, but having had three myself, you know, it doesn't hurt. It, it does. It helps with the aftertaste maybe a little bit too. <laughs> well, it's sort of more between than during. So. Well, that's cool. So, 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 you know, uh, let me know about where you guys have been, because it's very tough to run a nonprofit now. So I want to hear a couple of things. I want to how you, hear how you all have dealt with the struggles being a nonprofit during the COVID uh, time, and then also just generally your philosophy for dealing with adversity, because certainly running a small nonprofit organization is filled with adversity mm -hmm. on a daily basis in terms of fundraising, your reach, uh, the crowdedness of the space. Talk to me about how you deal with adversity. Let us know what you're doing different in the COVID space. That's a really good question. Um, and it hasn't been easy pivoting from, uh, you know, being with people and um, traveling and seeing you at conferences and other places. Those are the things that, that feed me and that feed my soul and you know continue to drive me to do things so sitting at my dining room table or in an empty office uh you know spending a lot of time on zoom and making my ear, ears hurt from my earbuds don't it's been very difficult both uh personally and i think as our organization we have done a lot of work to overcome that and whether that's uh, you know, extra phone calls, checking in um, with each other, um, just, you know, trying to find different ways to support each other. 
And um, sorry, my, as we're talking about this, and we had talked, said we were going to talk about this later, but during this whole COVID thing, we also, we also um, lost one of our very close coworkers. We lost Sarah DeBoard, who was a survivor. And I promised I wasn't going to do this until the end because I knew I would get emotional. But when we talk about COVID and we talk about adversity, I think about cancer patients. And I think about patients like Sarah, who during the pandemic, um, and as she knew she was nearing the end of her life, was forced to go into isolation. And so I think of my adversity of being struggling with um, motivation because I'm alone in my office or at my dining room table, um, being nothing near what a cancer patient is facing during this time. And um, especially someone that is so vocal and uh, passionate about her disease space and making a difference as Sarah was. Um, so for us, struggling with her as she neared the end of her life and um, knowing that we were going to lose her without being able to say goodbye added an extra level of adversity that we are still working on trying to figure out how we overcome. Um, Sarah was a huge force, not just in our organization, but also in the colorectal cancer space as well. She did a lot of um, work for us, but also volunteering with Colin Town, doing her own writings, managing her own blog, and really being there in an active voice for other patients. And um, so when I think of adversity in this time, my thought goes to her and then other patients that are struggling with the same struggles that she went through, hopefully with a different outcome, a more positive outcome than Sarah's story ended with. But I'm not gonna lie, it hasn't been easy. Well, the work you do is gonna lead you into that space you're looking to do, because that's what she would have wanted you to do. She would have wanted you mm -hmm. to persevere and double down and get creative and not look back. You know, she was, a, I, I, you know, I met her, she's tough. So you're, you're doing what she would have wanted you to do. And, and I don't know that there's always a key to adversity, but I do know that, you know, that positive space that you work in on a regular basis in terms of trying to deal with this and prevent this would have, you know, made her proud enough to be part of your organization. And, 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 and she's certainly thinking about, she's probably wishing you could send you some emails for ideas on what to do next. Oh, I know. <laughs> I keep waiting for her to, her, um, there are papers that I haven't gone through yet with all her plans. And so I have a marching order. She left me marching orders. Um, I just have to figure out how we're going to, how we're going to implement all of those things in the middle of a pandemic. That's my, that's my challenge right now. Well, that's a good challenge. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's great to remember a colleague and a warrior like that. And so, you know, she, she, the work she did is not in vain, that's for sure. Definitely not. She was a, a voice for patients, a fierce advocate, and like you said, would want us to continue this work 
to. Her biggest thing was to prevent other people from experiencing her same fate. She was diagnosed at 34 years old. She had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, she fought for eight and a half years, over 170 rounds of chemotherapy. Don't know how anybody does that, but Sarah was one of a kind. And um, yep, that's why I continue to do what I do in her name and to make sure that this doesn't happen to others. Cool. Well, I want to talk about something that you that I know that she would approve of. What do you tell people who are facing colon cancer uh, about second opinions? Get one. Absolutely. Um, uh, an, uh, finding your research hospital in your area, finding um, NCI designated cancer center in your area to really get the second opinion, um, especially if you know concerned about a treatment option um, or something doesn't if something doesn't feel right or you don't feel especially you feel like your doctor is listening to you getting that second opinion is very key. Um, I know Sarah got second opinions, she got third opinions, she got fourth opinions. Um, and uh, she was also a huge advocate for uh, clinical trials as well. Right. I think that's something anyone who's listening that may have a person either battling colon cancer or really any type of cancer, this goes broadly. Uh, second opinions are critical and uh, that does not mean that you don't have success. It just means that two, 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 two heads are always better than one. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and most of the time, you know, there are second opinions available within your geographic location, not everyone. Right. So, so in, in the nonprofit space, then tell me what your guys' biz, biggest obstacle is right now. Where, where, where do you see uh, your biggest obstacle in the medical industrial complex in terms of getting your message out? So our message is, is, has always been focused on screening and prevention. So, and when you look at the colorectal cancer space and um, our peers in the space, we, we all have things that we do very, very well and we all have our niches. The niche that we have carved out for ourselves is this prevention and screening and symptom awareness to reach people before diagnosis. Um, I think it's a super, important place to be. We want to prevent people from getting cancer. We want to prevent people from, uh, you know, experiencing an, experiencing an early diagnosis or really any diagnosis if we're talking screening age, can we prevent it through a non-time colonoscopy? Um, but we struggle with finding funding because people want to fund patients. They want to fund treatment and they want to fund research. Um, so if I'm being completely blunt and honest, it is, is finding, yeah, it's finding the funders to help us prevent cancer. It's important. People talk about wanting to help patients and prevent cancer, but we struggle with finding funders who will actually step up and fund the prevention rather than funding what comes after. So you ask me, and that's my very blunt <laughs> answer. And um, any, any funders that are listening that want to have a conversation, you know how to find me. Erin at colon cancer coalition.org.
So what's your favorite thing, study or action? Action. I think we know, we know a lot. There's great researchers out there. I want to take the research that they know and take action on it. What can we do because of the study that's already been done? We know that there is an increase in young onset colorectal cancer. The finding out the why is really important, but until then, let's take action and do something about it. Can, is it through symptom awareness? Do we tell young people and find out ways to reach them where they are with, um, you know, telling them that, you know, blood in their stool is not normal is one of our big messages to get out there. Um, unexplained weight loss and some of the other pieces. Um, talking about Sarah again, she was really intent on talking to the survivor community and finding out what were your symptoms before you were diagnosed and how, if you had seen something on the back of a bus that said this symptom is a colorectal cancer symptom, would that have made a difference? And then taking what we've found from that and doing some things to create some action and create some change in young people. I'm a big fan of acting on what we already know before we study anything new. It's almost like a child on a project, right? They're already ready <laughs> for the next one. We have so many guidelines in place today that are not being followed, particularly screening people at elevated risk at 40 or sooner. Mm -hmm. recommending genetic testing for people who meet criteria, as well as the big kahuna, which is getting folks to be screened on time, uh, not a decade later. So I, I, I think that's right. Action is what we need. And uh, maybe we ought to have a moratorium on studying until we uh, get some <laughs> of the things done that are already in our list. So uh, tell us the, the coalitions and your personal view about how do you turn these great ideas into impact? Baby steps. I, we at the coalition, um, we're lucky we're small. There are nine of us. We don't have a huge infrastructure. There isn't a lot of bureaucracy within our organization. Um, and because of that, we're very nimble and able to be like, you know what, this looks like a good idea. Let's try it. Let's try it with the Facebook post and see what happens. Let's try it on a billboard. Um, we know the messaging is correct. We know um, stories work. So let's try it in a new way and see what impact it has. Um, so, you know, and once we have some ideas about the little things that work, trying it in a larger space. We had some success with a campaign that we did in Boston a couple of years ago, and we put big symptom awareness messages on recycling and uh, garbage kiosks throughout Boston, throughout the city of Boston. And it, big letters that said, you know, blood in your stool is not normal or unexplained weight loss, no signs and symptoms um, with information for screening. And we got some, we know, we know the impressions, we know those six things, but the important ones were the emails that we got like, hey, I saw your thing. Just wanted to let you know I went and got checked and I have, you know, I don't have cancer, but I have, you know, another IBS disease. And so now that's under control. Um, but so we know that it works and we know that it gets seen. So starting small and then taking what we learn from those small things and then making a really big splash and seeing what happens.
Cool. Yeah, you have great work, and I'd, I'd recommend everybody um, look at those and maybe do a little R&D, which we all know in the business is rip off and duplicate, but certainly credit mm -hmm. the coalition, and, and we recommend partnering with people uh, from our organization. Back to the big picture, when you look at what the focus is financially on colorectal cancer, it's on treatment. Where else is the medical industrial complex failing in terms of getting messages out about prevention? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? What can they do better? You have a big national view on this. What are your opinions? What can we do better? I, it has changed a lot. Things have improved immensely since I first dipped my toe into the colorectal cancer space um, nine and a half years ago. Uh, and the conversations that are having, um, that I've been a part of or that I've been, that I have seen are moving away from, well, it's time to get someone screened at 50, it's your 50th birthday, let's talk about your colonoscopy too the um, proactive outreach. Um, I've been on calls with some payers that start to do, you know, informational mailings about, you know, hey, you, you do turn 50, you didn't just turn 50, but you turn 50 in a couple of years, let's start thinking about your colon cancer screening. Um, while colonoscopy is still the gold standard and the one that we talk about in terms of prevention, the messaging about additional options, take-home options, things that are less expensive, less invasive, I think all of those messages that have started to become more prevalent are key in getting more and more people screened. Um, because let's face it, not everyone is willing to undergo the colonoscopy, whether it's because of the prep or other reasons. Um, so being able to say that there are other options available has really helped us in our messaging as well. Um, but I would still love to see more. Um, the first time that you and I met in New York City, I don't know, was it six years ago or something, you kept talking about on-time screening and that on-time screening wasn't necessarily 50, wasn't the colonoscopy of 50, but on-time screening, what it meant for them, whether that was because of a family history, whether it was because of some other risk factors, if it was because of symptoms, um, but that we needed to get them to, needed to start the conversation to have them get screened on time. And I think at the time you say, you know, 50 is not the finish line, now it's 45. So how do we continue to push that messaging forward so that 45 is when people are screened and not the conversation starts? So I think there has been a lot of movement in the past decade. Um, but there's still, there's still a lot of room for improvement. Excellent. I'm going to give you a couple of quick, uh, quick questions here. I want to get your thoughts and, uh, or reflect this, the CCC's thoughts on it. So, uh, number one, 45, good or bad? Good. Is Minnesota a 45 state? No. Drats. <laughs> Some payers are, the state does not. Early onset colon cancer. Do we need to know what's causing it before we address the issue? No. I think we need to 
continue to have the conversation, continue to talk about screening those with family history, talking, talk about, um, you know, tumor testing, especially for those with a young diagnosis so that we can see if there's a family link that isn't previously known. Um, I think ultimately the causes of it, why it's increasing will be key to preventing it more in the future, but we can't wait for that research to be done to do something about the messaging to young people now. Genetic panel testing for people who meet criteria, particularly with Lynch syndrome, where we only diagnose one out of 10 people before they have their first cancer. What can we do to increase the use of family history collection and genetic testing when indicated? Oh boy. Um, I think, like I mentioned, you know, tumor testing all, you know, the genetic testing for all young cancers, uh, colorectal cancer specifically, but all young cancers um, could help. And then, you know, figuring out how those patients then reach out to the rest of their family to have the rest of the family uh, talked or communicated with. Uh, we do some work with uh, David and Robin Dubin at Alive and Kickin' and host a Lynch syndrome workshop every fall. Well, last fall was the first one, and then this fall uh, we're doing a virtual one, which I can share information with too. Sorry, just got to. And um, talking about how those patients, how Lynch patients diagnosed can help with talking to their family and encouraging additional screening and testing for those families at risk. So tell me what success is gonna look like for you. You're nine years in, do you have a finish line that you're looking at, some type of a, a goal that you wanna get across in the near term? We know long-term we all wanna see colon cancer mm -hmm. be a disease of the past, as we say. Right. What's the near-term goal of success for Aaron and the coalition? So our near-term goal, um, to be a little tongue-in-cheek, is to survive the pandemic. <laughs> um, but to figure out with our new reality how we continue to reach a growing number of people with more and more limited resources and less in-person interaction is continuing to be our challenge and something that we are um, steadily working on to um, come up with plans and contingencies and contingencies on our contingencies and figuring out how we can continue to reach the populations that we had been through um, in-person interactions in a more virtual environment continues to be our challenge. So in the near term, um, simply put, survive the pandemic. In the long term, what do I wanna see in the colorectal cancer world? I want to see screening as something that is, a colon cancer screening is something as normal as a pap smear, or something as normal as a mammogram, it's something as normal as a, uh, you know, trip to the emergency room when you break your ankle, whatever it is, that it's not that, not that 
EU factor that no one wants to talk about. We need to make poop normal, which is why we use a lot of poop emojis in all of our things um, to kind of break that stigma that this doesn't have to be a serious topic. It can be something that we have a little fun with. Uh, we are very tongue in cheek. Um, get your rear in gear is, um, you know, something that is not serious and we try not to be serious. And, uh, and also sharing stories uh, to continue to drive that message home. Well, fighting colon cancer with all of the enthusiasm of an adolescent 12-year-old boy is funny, but colon <laughs> cancer is not funny. And if that's your tool and that's your means, then I think it really works because that's, I think that's how you disarm the difficult piece. So I, I agree with you 100%. So Aaron, oh, go ahead. I was just to say our favorite graphic, our favorite, um, our favorite one of staff and a number of our volunteers and others is when we tell people to make a booty call. And it just means call our doctor to schedule their colonoscopy. Okay, we'll have to censor that for the young guys out there. But, uh, <laughs> so is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you're interested in uh, saying? I know we, you talked about Sarah and her great contribution and the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, this, this tough loss for the organization and for all of the people who knew her nationally. Anything else we haven't touched on that you want to talk about with regards to your work or the coalitions? Um, I just, I feel like we are, um, we were, we in terms of the entire colorectal cancer space, not just the, not just the coalition, but our entire um, community, our entire movement was at such a good, good place. We had a lot of momentum. We had a lot of really amazing things happening um, throughout 2019 and into 2020 that uh, I really want to challenge all of us, our organization included, is how do we not lose that momentum? How do we continue to uh, drive home the screening message? You know, what was it, 1.7 million missed colonoscopies at the beginning of the pandemic, 18,000 plus delayed diagnosis, you know, 4,500 additional deaths because of those delayed diagnosis in the next decade. Um, those numbers are scary, um, but it's not, I don't think we're at a point where we, we are too late. Like we just need to figure out how we can take back that momentum and take back the messaging so people can feel comfortable going back to the doctor, go, feel comfortable making that booty call again, calling and making that appointment. Because uh, cancer doesn't stop. Um, it hasn't stopped because of a pandemic. Just because you didn't go to the doctor to get screened doesn't mean that whatever would be there is waiting for you to make that appointment. It's still, you know, cancer is insidious. And um, whether it's colon cancer, breast cancer, um, cervical, whatever other screenings are out there and you are due for, pick up the phone and make and keep your appointment. Because you've already reorganized your closet seven times and mulched your yard till your plants are dead. So I agree. I, I think that's a great 
piece to how do we recapture, regain, and I think grow the momentum. So, so Aaron Peterson, I'm going to ask you the question. What's the most successful thing for a cancer fight, in your opinion? So I have to go back to Sarah. Um, she was an amazing woman. And she, her fear when her, she was diagnosed when her boys were four and one was that she would not see the milestones. She would not see first words. She would not see first day of kindergarten. She would not, you know, see some of those milestones in their lives. And she decided that that wasn't acceptable to her. I have never met a more positive person who truly lived with metastatic disease. Um, she didn't let her cancer define her. She chose to define her cancer in terms that it became a way for her to advocate for herself and advocate for others. She was relentless in her fight for knowledge and finding the next treatment that could hopefully, um, you know, get the cancer out of her body. Um, and while that ultimately didn't happen, she, because of that drive and that advocacy and that fight in her, for those boys, she got eight and a half years when she was worried she wouldn't even have one. So uh, finding what it is that drives you and not to let cancer define you. I think um, having never, fortunately haven't had a personal cancer experience, but watching Sarah over the past five and a half years while she worked with us, um, that's how I would define it. Aaron Peterson, Communications Director of the Colon Cancer Coalition in Minneapolis. Thank you for taking time and sharing your story and particularly your stories about Sarah with our listeners. We really appreciate you taking time to be a guest on Cancer Fight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Aaron Peterson. Thank you for being with us today on Cancer Fight. To keep up with our work, follow Colon Cancer Prevention Project on all major social media platforms and visit our website, kickingbutt.org. Special thanks to our producer, Keaton Jones, and our director, Maggie Cunningham. Until next time, fight on, cancer warriors.